Doesn't he have a happy, friendly smile? You just like want to engage him? I personally believe that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, that should be the representation of all of us. And I don't have that yet. I'm still waiting for the gift to come on me. In fact, um, I'm, a, I'm a Calvary pastor, but they haven't asked me to be a pastor of a church. And I think because they know my temperament, I haven't become like your pastor yet. In fact, if I were to come and teach on a regular basis, I'm just sharing with you because my message is going to be a little intense and I want you to have some grace. But I'd probably get fired from you guys because I'd throw the pulpit through the window at some point after I'm going, hey, mate, wait a minute, we didn't we talk about that? Why is your marriage falling apart? So I'm glad your pastor's doing it and with that big smile. So uh, I, as a pastor, you're supposed to love people, right? No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Thank you. That was going to be a joke, but it didn't work up real well, so I'll probably use it a little bit later on. But no, And I'm being a little bit lighthearted here because it's really important for, as a Christian, where I deal with things, it's always heavy. There's always a heaviness. We deal in nine of the ten most dangerous places on the planet. And, and I, I'm woken up every day of the week with some type of text dealing with some, some type of emergency, and we'll get more in that. But I'm also reminded as a Christian, although my life sometimes gets really heavy and really hard, and there are times that I just want to go hide in my room and turn off the lights and shut the drapes and just stay there for like a month so I don't have to deal with reality. But when I run into a church like this or when I run into lives that have been radically transformed, I'll tell you something, there's just no greater motivation. And I pray for some of you who know there's more to Christianity And it just feels like the heavy side of Christianity, the family is struggling, life is struggling, everything is struggling. I can tell you from my life is that the greatest joys that I have ever gotten are running into the face of the struggling. When you go into the place where the enemy is trying to keep you from because it seems like a drag and it seems so heavy and it seems so negative, what I know from serving where I do is that the greatest treasures in life are always where the dragon is hiding. And we have to remember that as Christians, we don't get to run from the battle. We don't get to just sit on our our chairs or our couches on Monday and watch the news and, and give a Monday morning quarterback about everything. We are called to be the light of the world, which means we are called to be into the thick of it. We are called to be into the deepest parts of where life is hard. We don't get to sit and just point our finger and complain. We have been called by the living God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, whether you realize it or not. We have been called by the living God to go out and be a light into this world. Every single believer. And and if you haven't had a chance to experience some of that, I'm praying today that I'll make you a little bit jealous. And I have a feeling at this church I should actually be sitting out there because when I walked in this morning, just the energy that is coming out of this church, uh, just a little church in Riverside, I can tell you it's exciting to me because I get to travel all over the world. I started at Calvary. I was sharing this with your pastor in 1995 or 85. And, and Calvary was on fire. It felt like we, I mean, so much love. We were running out everywhere to tell everybody about Jesus and to help the suffering. And, and then we all got a little bit older and we got a little bit more crabby and we got a little less friendly. And, and I'm just thankful to walk into here because I've had more conversations in here than I probably had in the last couple of churches I've been at. And that says a lot here. I probably should be sitting right there and listening to your pastor because something good is happening. And so as I, as I take that in a humility way, I realize that I have a lot to try to accomplish, so I better make sure the Holy Spirit is leading. And if I can encourage you, too, is if, if your life is a mess, quit pursuing everything else and just pursue the Holy Spirit to lead your life. 
And what I found is when I try to make it so big, when I look at all 66 books of the Bible and I think of everything that we are called to do, even though grace is free, everything we're called to do, I am so thankful that it really winds down to one important fact, and that is what your pastor talked about, and that is love. And I'm hoping that I can drive that point home, and I'm coming from a place where I have some credibility because I'm in some pretty dangerous places. But at the end of the day, the greatest gift that I can use and you can use in this church of everything, and if I just left it simple, and that is to love. Love other people as Christ loved them. And what I know about Christ is that he loved me when I was his enemy, and I deserved his punishment, and he gave me his grace. And I deserve probably going to jail, if not death, for some of the stupid things I've done when I was even in high school. But I was given his grace, and even today, that grace has been so compounded that I get to stand in front of you. This is the story of Christianity that I am praying gets released upon the world because Christianity isn't some ugly, still your joy religion. It is a religion that takes away the pain so that we can actually run with freedom. But I've had to go through the pain to be able to understand that I can run with freedom even in my pain. The Lord has called us into some of the most extreme places on the planet. I'm with Far Reaching Ministries. Uh, and the Lord has called us to some pretty crazy places. Most of the people, most people know us for our work. We're a Calvary Chapel ministry. We've been around since, well, a long time. Wes uh, and I met when I was 19 at Horizon. So we've been doing this for a little bit. We're mostly known for the work that we do in South Sudan. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background about what, where God has us today. The pastor had mentioned that we're in a few more countries than that, but it all started in one place. And that is my message this morning is an encouragement that wherever God has you, be faithful there. Because when you're faithful right there, you have no idea what God can do next. But what a lot of times we do is where we are, we don't want to be faithful because it's hard. It seems boring. It, it seems more fun over there. But what I, what I do know is that if I wasn't faithful here through these incredibly hard seasons, when God put me here, I promise you this. If it weren't for God's faithfulness and 40 years of walking with the Lord, I would have hightailed and run. And, and where you are, no matter how basic it seems, is really the training ground for what God wants for us next. And I'm going to get more into that too. In South Sudan, uh, where we're mostly known, um, when we ended up working there, it was by, by kind of a happenstance. God knew what he was doing, but Wes is a former Marine. And he was serving as a missionary in Russia And he actually got a call from some Calvary pastors and said, we need to go to South Sudan because there's a terrible genocide going on. By the time the genocide had ended, there was over two and a half million people that had been killed. And this wasn't just army against army. This was literally villages being wiped out. In fact, if we were in South Sudan during the height of this, most of the men in this room would be gone because we had to serve in the military. It wasn't an option. We had to leave our families, and so entire villages, and they're not villages like we have here in Riverside. These are mud huts with grass roofs. These are tukuls. They have no running water. A lot of times they have to walk for miles, if not even hours, to get jerry uh, cans worth of water just to bring back. So it's a different environment. But when the enemy came into our village, and if they would have come in and we wouldn't have been able to get away, their goal would be to wipe every one of us out unless we converted to Islam under Sharia law. And South Sudan aligned with Christianity um, 
A man named General Gordon came to South Sudan during the uh, British occupation of Sudan and brought the gospel, and it just caught on fire there. And they didn't want to align with Islam, so they, they resisted that. And that's where a bunch of people were killed. But it's not, just how they, it's not just that they were killed, which is terrible. And I want to bring some of this home because sometimes we see so much that our hearts get hard. But what they would do is the merciless, inhumane atrocities that they committed against the women and the children... And I could tell you stories, and that's not what I'm here. I'm going to really get into Afghanistan. But I want to let you know something. When you deal with children who have been forced to kill their own parents or to watch their siblings be killed, then their parents be killed, and then them ultimately being killed, and these children out of desperation and fear and and trembling end up killing their parents, I'm going to tell you something. You don't just give them a glass of water and tell them Jesus loves them, give them a hug and walk away. You've got to walk with them for a season because that kind of trauma, how do you forgive yourself? How do you go on? But what we've seen in the worst kind of trauma in South Sudan is some of these young people have grown up to be the most incredible witnesses of grace and love and forgiveness. And it's worth it, but we have to be committed to this fight. During that time where two million people were killed and the atrocities were just heinous, we as a ministry saw a tremendous amount of suffering. We raised up over 500 chaplains. That's what God has called us to. We have over 500 chaplains, 550 now, really Calvary pastors that are embedded in frontline combat units this morning. And because of where we serve just in South Sudan, which makes us a little unique, we've had 69 of our uh, team members, um, 69 of them die in the service of the Lord by bombs and bullets and disease. We've had uh, husbands and wives of chaplain and his wife killed and children killed. We've had chaplains burned alive. We've had these. And, and, and I'm saying just these words, chaplains, and usually I show a video, but for time's sake today I'm not. But one thing I can tell you, to, to us as a ministry, those 69 brothers and, and a sister, those are our friends. Those are guys that I knew. It would be like me being part of this church, and we went to the Word together, and we spent time together, and we, we went through incredibly tough times together, and then they pass away. These are brothers that I have spent time with in Sudan that have prayed over the American church faithfully day after day at 5 o'clock every morning, and now they're gone. These are my brothers. It's hard. As a ministry, in the first 15 years, we weren't prepared for this, and it was a lot, but in the first 15 years that we served in South Sudan, we had 16 team members killed. That was a lot. That's a little bit more than one a year. In the last six, we've had 53 team members killed. And so things continue to heat up. South Sudan would be enough for us, but we went way beyond that. Um, but our work in South Sudan, this is the other thing, too, is never downplay a relationship that God brings you. Because of our work in South Sudan and because of the military, we have attracted a lot of people that come from special forces and and even from our Department of Defense and different things like that, uh, senators, congressmen, staff, all of that. We've attracted a lot of very unique people over the years that are highly skilled but also highly connected. And we're thankful for those relationships, but then you're going to see in a few minutes how those relationships over the years that God, if we wouldn't have shown up, how we would have missed all those that are actually helping us rescue hundreds of people out of Afghanistan today. God has a purpose. Every relationship, I have no idea where it's going to go, but every time I meet somebody, I'm trying to be completely present right there because I have no idea what God is going to do next, but I have learned that when you pay attention to what God is doing right in the now, you're blown away later on when you actually see those puzzle pieces come together. And as a body of Christ, I just want to encourage you, whatever, whatever is going on in this church, don't let anybody steal it. And the enemy would love to steal what's going on here. 
your kindness, your friendliness, how you guys engaged me. These young men came up and shook my hands and looked me in the eyes. Don't let the enemy steal any of that because that is the very presence, the very love that this world needs when every time they turn on the TV, it feels like there's two parts of America about to explode on each other. And as Christians, may we never be part of that. There is a time to stand up. I am not here to debate that and I'm not even here to teach about that. But some of the times what we're standing up on can so divide our ability to bring the love of Jesus to those that think totally different than us. And may I never do that. My number one goal, both in South Sudan and United States, and I know it's this church's heart too, is to be a witness to this world of the love and graciousness of God for a very broken and sinful person. But how he can come in and radically transform it. What I've learned in evangelism as well as being married is you never win an argument with a baseball bat. And I just want to encourage you that we know that intuitively, but how did we end up chasing such visceralness? And I want us to stand up for righteousness. I expect everybody to stand up for righteousness, but stand up for the things that matter. And that is a gateway that we should be to represent people to the loving hands of a God who will forgive them in this world. May we never become a distraction, just like in South Sudan. There's some bad stuff that happened in South Sudan. The reason we have chaplains is because the South Sudanese, when, when they had a chance to go and take over a place that the Muslims would take over, when they went in, they did the same type of things. They would, they would kill children and rape women and cut off lips, and, and, and the world had to say no to that. And so we went in as chaplains to say, no, that's not how you treat people. As Christians, we should be able to go into all the world, including Sudan, and teach people how you treat people in even conflict. Today, uh, or as of last week, we just changed it. We were in 32 countries. Now we're in 34. I already mentioned that we're in some of the most dangerous countries. But the easiest way to explain what we do is if somebody, if people are running from a war zone, we're probably running in. And that doesn't make us brave, and it doesn't make us uh, some unique Christians. It just means that we're being faithful to the unique call that God has called us to. And God has given you a calling. He really has. He has probably not called you to South Sudan or even to Afghanistan. Maybe one or two of you will go on a short-term missions trip. I don't know. But what God is expecting you to do with the skills and the background and the experience and, and everything is to be that same type of light right here in Riverside. Because for God so loved the world that he doesn't just love Afghanistan and Sudan and, and uh, the other parts of the world that we're in, but he so loved the world that he sent you to Riverside because he cares about the suffering in this community. And you know who else he cares about? The suffering in this church. What I can tell you, being a pastor as long as I've been, is that no matter where you go, you cannot judge what's going on based on how people look on the outside. Because we all know how to put on a nice shirt, and we know how to smile nicely. We, we've been taught that, especially in church. Don't let anybody know that you're, you know, you're being disrespectful because you're the pastor's kid. And we, we're really good at that, right? We want to put on this air, but I can tell you in here, and I don't know who you are, but there's some pain in here. And, and I want to encourage you in your pain that there is a God who cares about you and loves you. But I want to encourage those that are sitting next to you that maybe are outside of a, a, a time of pain is to remember to quit looking at yourself and start looking beyond you because you have no idea. Just that smile, that, that season of kindness to somebody that isn't really that kind back, you have no idea the weight that they're carrying and you have no idea the freedom that you can bring to their life should God use you to be able to do that. I run a unique in, um, part of our ministry called Ghost Operations. 
Ghost operations is the invisible arm of love or the invisible arm of you, the church, to the most dangerous places on the, on the planet. I'm responsible for about 700 underground pastors in very persecuted countries in the Middle East, in Africa, in Asia, in, in closing European countries, and, and even in some pretty violent Latin American countries, um, some not as violent but in others, and those things continue to skyrocket. So I was the general manager, and I gave up those responsibilities to be able to focus on what's really happening across the globe. Before Afghanistan happened, I had a lot going on based on what I do. And, and Syria, I was dealing with Syria, for some of you who remember that. That's still going on. It's not as bad as it was, but it's a pretty devastated country. Uh, the fundamentals of it continuing to be dysfunctional are still there. The same presidents in place. They still have the same rebels fighting. Um, we have Russia involved in that. But when Syria first exploded, I had 12 underground pastors that we were supporting there. And when, they, when it first exploded, they had gotten together, a very poor group of people, very marginalized group of people. They, it's hard, they can't even get decent jobs as Christians in Syria before the war because they're Christians. So they were a very poor group of people, but they got together and they decided that when everything fell apart, that they, just like scripture, there's sometimes it's okay to run to figure out what God wants to do next. And sometimes it's important to stay. And so they all decided that they would take a week and fast and pray when the bombs were dropping, and they did that. And they got together a week later, and, and my main contact, who I just got to spend some time with a few weeks ago, um, just a neat brother in the Lord, so committed to Jesus, when he said they all got back together on the day in which they got to, would get back together, he expected only a couple of the pastors would stay to serve Jesus in a war zone. And not only did the, the original 12 show up, but a total of 25 pastors showed up and said that they would stay in Syria no matter what the cost. But what they did do is they said, hey, listen, we're very poor, and if we're going to stay here, there's, gonna be, there's a high probability that some, if not all of us, are going to die at some point. And because we're Christians, if we die in a Muslim country like in Syria, we're not going to be able to be buried uh, anywhere. There is no place for us to be buried. We'll be left in the streets, and they were concerned about that. So they took an offering, very poor church, and they pulled enough money together to buy their first uh, plot of land, their first building project as a, as a ministry, if you will, was to buy a plot of land, and they built a little, a little monoseum mon, 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 or malazim or whatever it's called. They built one of those on there so that if any of their brothers or sisters were killed, that they could at least bury them. And when I was with Danny, his, that's not his real name, but when I was with Danny the other day, he told me that the graveyard, after all these years, is still empty. So we have also a lot of things to, 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 to clap about. Very Thank you. And I'm going longer on that story than I want, but I have to finish this last part because this is what's also happening in Syria. As we continue to send in money and food parcels, we have to send them in over borders. It's really complex, very dangerous. Um, our team, are, they just realized that in suffering, people that are their enemies are also suffering. And this happened a few years ago. It's actually written in a book for some of you who may have read it. And this is, my, this is my brother. I'm so proud of him. But he took part of the food. And, well, this was a few years ago. They still do this, but this particular case. He took part of his food parcel and went to one of the local imams whose home had also been hit by a bomb. They were still living there, even though half the house had been collapsed. And uh, brought some food up to the house. And the husband wasn't there, just the wife. And in a Muslim country, men don't talk to women. So he apologized and walked away. And ran into this imam, and, and he gave him this package, and he said, who's this from, my brother? You know, why are you giving food away? And he says, it's from Jesus. And he goes, you mean the prophet Jesus? And he said, yes, please. And he invited him back into his house. This imam gave his heart to the Lord and is now running an underground seminary in Syria.
And that is why we go. I won't get into this story, but uh, if Syria weren't enough to keep me busy, um, uh, Burma, or many of you guys know it as Myanmar, they're killing entire villages. It is just an atrocity. We sent in uh, about at, in one shipment about $50,000 worth of food, and five of the people from one of the churches that we are supporting, um, I only knew one. I didn't know the other four, but they were, they were intercepted by the army. And every one of them, well, four of them were killed. All, four, all five of them were shot. The food was taken. Um, but four were killed and one was shot in the head, and he survived to be able to tell us the story. If that weren't enough, then I had all these other countries to go on, and then Afghanistan raised its ugly head in such a way that it's, I just told you, just little pieces of tough stuff, and I would have to tell you today that Afghanistan is probably the worst-case scenario that I have ever dealt with in my life, and we really, really need your prayers. I'm going to get into that in a moment, but I want to get into Scripture first before I do it. If you don't mind turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 11. And I'm not going to take a lot of time on this one. But I, this is, sometimes this verse, I believe, should be used almost like a, a velvet hammer. But other times, I believe that it should be used as a mirror. You have the ability to look in that and you can see what God is doing. And I believe that this church, this is a mirror. Because I believe this represents you well. And I want to encourage you that the way that your pastor and his wife are leading you is, is, a, is an amazing thing. You may not understand it. Maybe some of you have come from less healthy churches. But I've seen way too many unhealthy churches. And I would encourage you that this is, this is more of an exhortation because of the way that the love that is flowing out of this church. This is Jesus, though. This is really important to me. This is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem where he knows there is no doubt that he is going to be betrayed by the very disciples that are walking with him. He is going to be handed over to enemies that don't even know him. By his own brother, the Jews, they're going to actually cry out for him to be killed, and then he is going to suffer terribly, and he's going to die. He's on his way to this, and this is Jesus. I'm so thankful, because if I knew I were on my way to death, I don't think I would have the clarity of mind to say too many intelligent things. But Jesus, knowing who he was, being filled with the Holy Spirit, chose and could have said a thousand different things, and he did, but he said this. Hold on to this body of Christ, because this is so important, especially as we see this world starting to shake. And I, I, I have to tell you, I have never seen it shaking more than this in my 56 years of life. It, it so absolutely feels like the end is here. It just, I can't even understand how it gets worse. But with that, I hold on to these verses, because until my last breath, this is exactly what God expects me to do, and you as believers to do. Let's read. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. And as they heard these things, who? The disciples. He, Jesus himself, proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and said to them, engage in business, what some of your translations probably say, one of my favorite translations, it says, Occupy, occupy until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had, listened to this, gained by doing business, or what they had gained by occupying until he comes. 
The first came to him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because, cause and effect, hear that please, cause and effect, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. So he goes from getting a bag, roughly about a pound of silver, that's what a mina was, there's different translations, but that's mostly what's accepted. He went from a pound of silver to be, and being faithful with that, to being given authority over ten cities. So from money to the economy to family to education, you cannot downplay faithfulness. And you shall have authority over ten cities. And a second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? Why then did you not do the most basic thing possible? If you didn't feel that you could do this, why didn't you take the gift that I gave you and entrust it to somebody else that would be faithful, even if the return would be less? Why didn't you just do that? Why didn't you just put it into the bank, and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is one of my life verses. I want to be caught faithful. When my Savior, who, if you just knew my story, even as a Christian, if, if five minutes of my life as a Christian, some of the stupidest things that I have ever done were to show up on the screen behind me, I don't think I'd ever show my face. And so when I hear a Savior who loves me so much and basically says, if you want to represent the kingdom, I'm not looking for your perfection. I am looking for you to give me all you can in the best way that you can. That is, in, in my mind, that Jesus' death instructs me very clearly that I am not to be perfected. I'm not trying to compete with your pastor. I'm not trying to compete with anybody else in ministry. But what I do want to do is, in my own way, is that I want to do, I want to give, I want to love, I want to bear good fruit, I want to occupy until he comes and calls me home. One of the things that I'm struggling with in my own life, body, hear me on this one, is that for years I, I used such big flowery words, I, and I still do, but I studied the Greek and the Hebrew, and I could get into incredible conversations. I knew the word. I had been in Calvary for a while. I am so blessed to be able to go from Genesis to Revelation. But a few years ago, the Lord started wrestling me with something. It's really good that you know, but what about doing? Because to be a knower of the word and not a doer is to deceive myself. I can go through my life, I can talk about scripture, I can give people Greek and Hebrew, I may even break out in the gifts of the Spirit, and I may speak in an unknown language to you. But if I'm not a doer of the word, I'm still deceived. I don't want to be deceived. 
Do you know how easy it is for me to be deceived? Do you know how many things in life that I believed were true to find out later on that they are not? All I want in my life is I want the truth. I, want to, I honestly want people to quit giving me their free opinion. If it's not in the word, backed up by the way that they live their life, this is going to sound terrible, but I tell people all the time, don't go to an unhealthy person to learn how to work out in the gym. I want to go to people that I see that are loving Jesus in their imperfection with their two left feet, but they rise back up and they keep serving Jesus because that's the kind of person that I need in my life to help me when I get exhausted from death. When I'm exhausted from war, I want to see people living out their life. Why? Because it matters to God. What Jesus told me, what Jesus told the disciples, and I've taken it as he said it to me. He said, in greater things than these shall you do. And I'm not even here to talk about Jesus talking, uh, turning water into wine. I'm not here to debate that. I don't think I'm good enough for that. I'm not even here to debate when he said greater things than these shall you do is to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm not even here talking about that. I don't think I have the courage to try to convince you that you could raise Lazarus from the dead and do greater things than Jesus. But the one thing that I can tell you that I am absolutely convinced about, and that is love. The fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit comes upon me, there's this list of things that should, should represent my life. And the number one is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love hopes all things. Body of Christ, I want to remember that. I, and, and in my imperfection, and this is why I also love God's sense of humor, because I'm not like your pastor. I don't just naturally want to just be nice to people. This is something that the Holy Spirit has to do with me. But I do know that when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me and I learn how to love, I can be, I can be a true man of God, and I don't even have to use my Greek or my Hebrew. I want to be that man so badly, and I pray that you will pray for me. And I know that I have come a long way from where I want, but I want to finish this race so well that when I stand before my Father, this means everything to me, that I would hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. God expects you to bear fruit. There isn't a believer out there that God does not expect to bear good fruit. And there isn't a believer out there that should not represent our Savior, our Jesus, in making love the most dominant thing, the most dominant adjective that can, be defi- that can express who we are. I'm praying that's who I am. I'm praying that when people see me, they go, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he tries to be healthy and he you know, seems like a nice Southern California guy. That's nice. But what I really want is if you get to see me in five years from now and ten years from now, I am so consistent in who I am that you know I'm a child of God, even if you hate my guts. I want to represent Jesus so badly that it drives every decision I make. I want to be caught being obedient. I want to one day when, it, when I do stand before him, I know that I just gave a homeless person something because I have compassion on them because it's not just because they're lazy that they have to live on the streets. Sometimes they're just really broken. And sometimes a strange man like me just loving on them in a moment. I want to be caught. It would be the most amazing thing. Some people say they want to die in their sleep. I want to die when I am doing something to glorify my Jesus. I want to be in the midst of it because I also want them not because of me. I want them to talk about the Jesus who allowed a man to come to them and die while he was trying to give. I want to be that man. And I'm not fully there yet. I'm not. But I'm standing up before you being as vulnerable as possible so I can inspire you along the same path. 
wives, I know that he was different looking when you married him, but the Bible says to love him and honor him. That is what the church is all about. And, and, and dads, you're to love your wife so much that it's almost as if you're willing to lay your life down as Christ did for the church. I mean, that's no light stuff. If we just took that and we put love aside and we did that as marriages, what would Riverside be like if this church were filled with women and men who loved each other so much that it was obvious that if you needed healing and help, you came to this church because there was something going on? Wouldn't that be better to be defined as versus the group of people that hate vaccines and hate masks? I hate vaccines and I hate masks too, but I wanted to be defined as a man of love and a man who gives and a man who cares and a man, even if my morals and values are wrong, you know that if you are struggling and you are 100% different than me, I'm going to show up with the love of Jesus and I am going to serve you if I have that ability. I am going to serve you in such a way that there was no way you could ever say, oh, he, he just wanted something. I am serving you because the way that God gave me freely, I want to give out freely. Sorry, Pastor, I'm going off on a tangent, and this isn't what I meant. I may not get invited back, but sorry about that. Afghanistan. I want to be a doer of the word. In Afghanistan, when it uh, fell in 10 days after 20 days of the U.S., it was really a worst-case scenario for for our country. And I'm not going to get into politics here, but I can tell you that we are working against our government on this one. And that's okay, because we serve a God that's bigger But we do have a government that put in trillions of dollars to see a country uh, fall in 10 days. This is something we cannot do without the Lord. But what I do know, even with Afghanistan, is God can use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. What God is doing with a Calvary Chapel ministry is pretty, pretty amazing. There still are hundreds of Americans hiding in Afghanistan, and some of them just can't get out. One lady we're working with, just to let you know, we found them. We're, we're trying to get Americans out, too, and we're trying to get what they call SIVs out, which are the people who helped America for the last 20 years that are now targeted by the Taliban. We're trying to help them out, but there's lots of people trying to help them out, and we have one lady who is tr- uh, she won't leave. She's an American because she adopted 19 children whose parents have been killed by the Taliban, and she knows that if she leaves, those children will be in the Taliban's hands. So she's, she won't leave because there's 19 kids. She said, I can't go, so we're trying to help them out. But there are people, other people working on that, but there is a list that nobody's focused on, and those are our brothers and sisters, the Christians, the small minority that is still there. We had uh, 22 of our team members there, plus their families, about 200, a little over 200 when this exploded. And we went into wartime planning right away, and that's where God put together some really neat relationships. Sudan, special forces, congressmen, all those things, those relationships became vibrant during this time. And we had a bunch of really strong believers that are former special forces, uh, former um, agency, former bureau, things like that, that actually jumped in. And I can tell you, too, some of, the, some of the unique conversations I've had over the last couple months, there are people in our government, I want to give you encouragement on this one, there are people in our government that are truly patriots, that truly love Jesus, and they're all over. There are truly senators and Congress people, as much as you're hearing, that love Jesus. There are people within the NSA and things like that I get to talk with that truly love Jesus and care about this world. But they are a minority. So we have to keep praying. But there are people out there, if I can encourage you with that. We uh, started getting calls because of our connections and because of what we were able to do by getting a couple hundred people out. We now have a list of uh, over 1,000 people that we're working on. 
And there's no flights, there's no countries that will take these people. Too many countries are afraid that on these planes, even if they're supposed to be all Christians, there might be you know, some terrorists that are hiding in disguise, and we've had that. We've had, we've had some bad guys show up and try to act like Christians, but they can't put you know, two sentences together, and it's pretty obvious that they don't know Christ because they can't put the sentences together. But that's what the world is worrying about. And right now we're in a really bad situation because the snow's there. There's uh, no way to get people through rat lines or through lines to get them out through the north right now. The Taliban is pretty much blocking Tajikistan. Pakistan is a very tough situation. I can't give you the nations because this is going out on, online, but we're, uh, a couple of my team members are in different parts of the world dealing with presidents and prime ministers right now to open up the doors so that we can get a couple thousand Christians out of Sure, death's way. They will be killed. There's no, no choice. There's, in fact, several stories that I jumped past uh, on that one. Um, so be, please be praying for this. Even if you're not hearing it in our news anymore, this is an active situation. A lot of the play, people that were involved in the very beginning have pulled out because there's just no way to move around the country, but we refuse to. And we have some patriots that are still within our government that are working very aggressively to help us. But every day it changes and it becomes more and more difficult. I am going to tell one story. I know I'm going to go a little bit over here. I'm going to try not to. But I want to tell you this because this is also happening. It, it, it's, a, it's a hard story, but it's a beautiful story. In, um, in Afghanistan, one of our ministry workers started uh, just loving on their community before Afghanistan fell. And they started discipling three very large Muslim families. And these families had given their lives to Jesus and started being part of this Bible study. And when, when, when Afghanistan fell, the Taliban has a blacklist of all the people they know are Christians, all the people that were helping the Americans, the SIVs, as well as Americans. They have what's called a blacklist. And uh, this, this family was on the blacklist. And the family went into hiding, which we're very thankful for. And the Taliban didn't find them, but did find the three Muslim families, and unfortunately, including the baby, killed them all because they had converted to Christianity. That's the bad part. The good part is that Christ is reaching out to people. And when people are very disillusioned, like another family, this is another Muslim family, the brother was with the Taliban, and he killed his own brother. And then he, and there's some young people in here, so I'm going to watch my language. And then he, in front of everybody, he proceeded to um, violate the mom, and then he violated the four-year-older. And uh, they, they ran um, because this man is an evil man. He killed the dad. The whole family watched it. I have pictures. If I showed you, you've never seen anything this gruesome in your life about what, they, what he did to his own brother. But they all ran, and we were able to get with them. They hadn't eaten in days, and they probably hadn't changed their clothes by the time we got with them in about seven weeks. And I didn't go on this team. Wes was well on this team when we got to get with them, and we fed them, and we loved on them. And she started to share the story about where this man had been calling and saying, bring back your family, or I'm going to kill all your immediate family, which is about 28 people. And uh, so she was telling the story, and, and I was going to show the pictures. Your pastor got to see this when Wes showed it. But uh, this little girl, this six-year-old who, who got to see all the trauma, um, just broke down, just the trauma. And and so we, Wes spoke in and said he wasn't going to let any of that happen. And we're taking care of them. But they're now involved in an underground church up in another country because they're disillusioned. And it was the body of Christ that came in their time of need when they were truly in their most desperate need. That is the gift we bring to this world, body of Christ. I want to read the scripture to you, and then I'm going to really close and ask the pastor to come back up. 
I want to read something. This is another one of my life verses. This is Wes's in my life verse. And it comes out of Proverbs 24. And it says, if you falter, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those. That's very clear. That's not a suggestion. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those struggling towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? And that's what I am thankful about Calvary Chapel. I'm thankful for your pastor, and I'm thankful, and I don't know this body well enough. But God will repay everybody according to what he will, has done. And when I'm seeing what is happening here, the pastor explained it later. I guess this room used to look a little bit differently. When you do what God has called you to do, he will repay you for those things, both, I believe, in this life, but in the next life to come. So I want to encourage you is although the world is shaking and maybe 99% of all your other Christian friends are just complaining, you rise up and you love this world in a, way, in a way that God can use it. Because here's the reality. Why were you born here? Why were you lucky enough to be born here and not in the wrong country? What if I were born in Afghanistan? What if it were like one of the families, one of the men we have to take care of where they tied him up and then they brought in his two daughters and his wife and imagine what they did and then just to make things worse they executed them after they did all that while he'd watched and then they left him tied up to that chair for 11 days so the bodies could deteriorate and he was somebody famous that came and got him what if that were me what were what if that were me and and I was just a believer like this man who had to suffer that for the name of Jesus you know what I would do and I have a feeling you would do too you'd be crying out to God with this relentless this 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 guttural cry, just praying, God, do something. And what I am praying for Afghanistan and Syria and, and all the other crazy places of the world is that God will use us because that could be me. And this is what I promise to you guys, that if this world gets crazy, and this is going to sound a little bit weird, I talked to one of my brothers, I'm not going to get too conspiracy theory here, I promise. But if America starts to shake... We are already making plans for that. How do we stand with the body of Christ if the world changes for us? We're thinking about these things because this is what God expects from our ministry is how do we take care of those who can't take care of themselves? And to a lesser degree or to a different degree, same thing with you. We've uh, spent about a million and a half to get people out of Afghanistan to get 200 safe. That's about $7,500 a life. And I love Wes's heart. He's like, $7,500 to save a life? And this is what I heard. It wasn't even a prayer. And he said, God will take all of them. What a neat heart. That's the kind of man I get to follow. And I pray that there are men in here that the rest of you get to follow that set that kind of example. Not about what's wrong with the world, but excited that even though it's bigger than us, what God can do is absolutely amazing. We're going to be into this about $10 million, non-budgeted. But we believe that God is going to supply all of our needs because he told us that there's about a 2,000-piece puzzle here, and he's going to give us one piece at a time. We have about 200 pieces that have come in, including when we first said yes to this, we thought it was going to be $350,000, and we didn't have that money budgeted. 
And we prayed, and the next day we got a call without asking from a, one of our major donors, and he said, I just feel like you guys are going to do something, and here's $400,000. That was a piece of the puzzle that gave us boldness, because then we found out it wasn't 350000 it was $1.5 million. And guess what? The Lord brought that in. This $10 million, because we've got to relocate people. We can't just drop thousands of Christians into another country. We've got to make sure that they have a home and, or you know, some place to stay, and can they get work, and can they take care of their family. We're committed to all that because love does those things. Love is very practical. So we know we're going to be into this for a while. And, and I went over, but I'm going to say this, with the, and I will end in the next two minutes. I talked to the pastor about it because I, I could sense in the very beginning that this is a pretty neat church. You guys are responsive. But hear me on this one. If you're not involved here financially, please don't get involved in us yet. Why? Because God loves Afghanistan, but God loves Riverside so much that he sent you here. And I'm not going to sound like a good pastor, and I see a couple of my pastor friends out here, and you're probably never going to get me into, this, um, into the Calvary Chapel Bible College after my next statement here. But I'm very practical. And I think one of the mistakes that we do make in church, because the Bible talks about it, I'm a business guy that God called into ministry. I'm not smart enough to know how to act like a pastor. I didn't go through seminary. I didn't. I have another education. God has done all that kind of stuff. I get that. So I don't know how to be a professional pastor yet, even though I've been doing this for a while. I'm just really practical. I just know that I was a corporate guy because I had a family to take care of. And what I know about church is that I wish there were a tree out back that grew money. It doesn't exist. Pastor, have you found it yet? Yeah. And, and I know that we don't like to talk about money in church. I know that feeling. It's like, oh, here goes the other shoe. But it just, just, just for a moment, as if we're having coffee and we're just being honest, what I don't want to do is take away from what God is doing here by you helping us in Afghanistan because I know what I'm talking about. And, and I've made this PG. I mean, I could have rocked the world pretty heavily in here. I could have had tears streaming on your face. But I don't want manipulation and I don't want motivation I want people to rise up and be obedient to God. And the first obedient that everyone should have is how you tithe here. Because what I tell missionaries, and it's practical here too, is that if a missionary hasn't raised enough support, I tell them, man, it's a little dangerous. Because you're going to go into a foreign country, and if you can't afford to even buy yourself a cup of coffee, how are you going to buy a cup of coffee for somebody whose life has been turned upside down and you just need to love on them? And it's the same thing with the church. I believe that the church should be ready for the next big emergency, not just for what we have to do here to grow, to handle the growth here, but for the, best ne- best, or the next big emergency. I believe there should be money that you guys can go anywhere in the world to bring Jesus to whatever God tells you to. So be giving here. I spent a lot of time on this, right? Because it's important. And the pastor probably has never had this conversation with you. Maybe something similar. But I get to do it because then you won't see me again, so you can throw rocks at me, but that's okay. But the fact is, is it does matter. And once you're faithful here, here's something else, body of Christ, is that we were called to go into all the world. So once you're faithful here, we all have a call to the world. We're called to bring the gospel into all the world. So if you're being faithful here and you want to get involved, I'm going to say this. Do not help me. I have to have integrity when I say this. Do not help far-reaching ministries. If you want to get involved... Please take care of our Afghan brothers and sisters. I have some dossiers in the back there if you're interested. And please take them. And, and I don't know how long you're going to be able to support them. But these are what I have back there are just 
the people in Afghanistan. We're relocating them. Some of them are staying there. Can't give you all the story. Please don't take a picture of this and put it online. The, the name and the face has been changed, but there's some important information in there that you'll see on them so you'll know how to pray for them. If you would like to get involved in this, 100% of it goes to them. My salary is covered by a business person. Our administrative costs are covered. And this is why I don't want help. I want it to all go to them. We've got to take care of them. It's the most practical thing in the world. We've got to take care of them. We can't say that we love our brothers and sisters suffering if we don't do that. If you, and financially, too. Some of you, a widow's might is the perfect gift. And others... You can give more. You make up where the middle widows might maybe didn't, okay? So this isn't a pressure. Everybody give to this church first, but only give what you can give, please. We do ask that you do it monthly and automatically because we're not going to send out reminders. We just can't. It's thousands of dollars to do that, and we got work to do. So we would ask that you do it monthly and automatically. And lastly, because everybody loves these guys, I have the new class of chaplains if you'd like to support them. Some of you can do part. Some of them you can do multiple. Whatever God has you, I'm going to leave that up to you. But 100% of whatever you're going to give will go directly to that ministry. And that is a beautiful thing. That might change in 10 years from now because our donors who pay my salary, maybe they're called home to the Lord, and maybe it will change. But until then, I'm blown away by what God can do with a boy from Santee. And if God can take a guy from like me who came out of Santee, for those of you who don't know Santee exactly, no, nobody knows Santee unless you know, you know somebody from there. But if God can take me, First of all, there's people out there with a better pedigree than me in here. See what God can do with your life. But if God can use me, there isn't a story of redemption out there. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. You have a God who wants to use you until your last breath. I want to be used until my last breath. Pastor? Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, <clears throat> a couple of things. I'm going to share a few things with you. Um, in uh, Proverbs 24, uh, Edward uh, went there. But I want to read something that uh, it starts out in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 1 says, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. Uh, <clears throat> we heard a little bit about evil men, in what the, they desire and what they do. Um, and it goes on to say, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Um, as some of you may know, um, I can and I do everything I can to represent Christ as, as well as I possibly can, as far as I know up to this point. As he's continuing to uh, do a work of sanctification in, in my own life. But if you, if you know me, you know that I can at times be very direct, right? Um, that I can um, 
uh, as I'm, I'm bringing counsel in certain areas that I just lay out the truth of God's word. And I tell you this, and I've said this on several occasions, that what I desire is that we be disciples of Jesus Christ, that we stand on the truth of God's word, and that, and I use this term for both men and women, that we would be men and women of steel and velvet, right? That we would be able to, and I read this for this reason, because it says, a wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance, you can wage war, wage your war, and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. And so we are to engage the enemy. We are not to, as Edward said, uh, run from it, but run toward it. For we are not uh, men and women who are given to fear, but we ought to run toward that which everyone else is running away from. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, though, we have the velvet. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Right? And so that we hold that intention. Uh, we need to understand how to be gentle, but at the same time, be able to wage war against that which is false and also come alongside those in a way that is loving but is also willing to stand in the truth. Three things that I want to leave you with in support of what uh, Edward... You know, I, I don't... You all know, I don't invite many people to come and speak, right? You guys know that. There's a reason for that. Because this is, um, this is a work that I'm very uh, protective of. Um, you, I am very protective of. And I want to make sure always that uh, what comes from this pulpit is, is sound in, in every way. And so uh, the only people that I, that I ask to come are those that the Lord has stirred my heart and, and I know that they will deliver a message that is, that is sound. Uh, Wes, I, I trust. I, I've, I've known Wes for some time, uh, not in a close relationship, but I've known him for quite some time. And uh, so as I've observed his life, uh, I can therefore extend a hand in, of invitation um, to Edward to come and to speak on behalf of Far Reaching Ministries and encourage you, as we just, we just heard a little bit in regards to the persecuted church throughout the world and how it is that the Lord is using just this ministry uh, to do this. And this is what I wanted to point you to. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Far-Reaching Ministries is a ministry that is fulfilling the Great Commission. Um, you know, in, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, before he ascended, 
Uh, it says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? This is, this is and I've referred to this verse, and I told you how it is that the Lord is so compassionate and so full of grace and so patient, even at this point when the disciples, uh, they shouldn't have been asking this question because they should have already known the answer to it. And yet this is how he answered. He said, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Again, keeping in mind also Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20. And then Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul, and this is the reason why I look to him with great affection and because he is a great example of what it means to be completely content in the Lord and be willing to give all for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because even though he was persecuted, left for dead at one point, he continued. There was nothing that could stop him and he continued on. He was a a warrior. He was a man who uh, did what he encouraged others to do. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, he writes to Timothy. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others as well. As we have learned in South Sudan with 550 chaplains who are prepared um, to go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ on the front lines. Imagine that, literally. I mean, we talk about the front lines as Christians here, but it's nothing like having bullets fly by you and be out there with, we just went through, or going through Nehemiah as far as women are concerned, uh, with with a sword in one hand, right, and and a trowel in the other. And that's literally what they're doing. Share in suffering... As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And so I wanted to share those three sections of Scripture because of this. Number one, we are to fulfill the Great Commission, which we see in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. We see it again emphasized as the Lord, before he ascended, spoke to the disciples and, and told them that they were to be witnesses in their Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, and also to entrust to others that which has been entrusted to us, and that is exactly what we ought to be doing in our own lives and what Far-Reaching Ministries is doing uh, through the people who they are not only preparing in various countries, but what they are doing personally. And so I'm encouraged by it. I'm thankful for you coming out, Edward, and sharing with the church, your brothers and sisters. And, uh, and if you have any questions, you can see them afterward. Um, so I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up.
Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us, or to hear about those things, Lord, and be encouraged in, in the place where we are as well. Lord, knowing that uh, your work goes far beyond these four walls, and even us here as, a, as, a, as your people. Father, I pray that uh, we would uh, be encouraged to engage, Lord, and to advance uh, for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether here or in other places around the world, as we've been to various places in the world um, to further the gospel ourselves. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, bless Wes and Edward and uh, everyone with far-reaching ministries and that you would continue to give them favor and provide for them as only you can. We know that... Uh, where you guide, you provide. And Lord, you are faithful, for you cannot den deny yourself. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the honor. We pray this in Jesus' name.